Let's stand and we'll read today in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation in verse number 14. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14, how do we get here? How do our churches get where they are? How come we're seeing what we see? How come Christianity is fading away fast? Why do people hate the church? You can pick any title you want. Why is a church of less importance now in society than it's ever been? Wouldn't you agree with that's what, what happened? Right. People don't think too much, too highly of the church anymore. Right. They talk about it. They criticize it. Look at Revelation chapter 3 verse 14 said, And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And these are the words of Jesus. He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Hot. He said, verse 16, So then, because thou art lukewarm, you're in the middle, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You see this in homes. Cold. Not cold nor hot or lukewarm. You see this in religion. You see this in politics. When I call it, see this, I call it fence straddlers. Compromisers. Verse 17 said, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I count thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye. Country says I save, but it's I salve. Amen. That thou mayest see. Your mama used to put save on your chest when you had a cold. As 19 says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Verse 20 said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is where the Lord is at the church. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You can be seated. Father, as we bow in your divine holy presence this morning, I pray, Lord, you'd get a hold of our heart and bring us to the knowledge of the truth that we are what we are. That, Lord, today we might not pretend or put on, but, Father, you pull the rug out from under us and expose all that we swept under it. I pray, Father, that we might be what we need to be when we get to the end of the message today. And if we're not where we need to be, we'll get in the altar. And Father, we'll go out of here saying it's been good to be in the house of God and you worked on us. We didn't come here, Lord, today to be patted on the back. We didn't come here to be told how good we were or are. 
or how we'd like to be told. But Lord, we come today to hear the Word of God and may the Spirit of God drive the wedges down in our heart of the areas of our life that are not up to par. Lord, all of us can think of some good things in our life. But Lord, we want you to show us the things that we need to improve on. Father, we might walk out of this building desiring to be more than we've ever been. Be closer than we've ever been. That we might be a soldier of the cross. Lord, we know our days are getting shorter. Not only in health and physical life, but Lord, we're in the last days. We know that death or the rapture is going to catch us. One of these pretty soon. But I pray, God, that you might help us today to lift and exalt and magnify your name. May the Spirit of God anoint my lips. May I speak with authority as of the oracles of God. And we'll give you the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do we get where we are? I want to back up to chapter 2. We're going to deal with chapter 2 and chapter 3. Of the book of Revelation this morning, usually I've taught a long time just off of one church. Several messages I've preached off of just one. But today we're going to incorporate all of them to a certain degree because these seven churches of Asia are these seven churches that Jesus is walking in the midst of in chapter 1. Represent seven churches that were in Asia Minor at the time of the writing of John in uh, around 69 A.D. And each of these seven churches are representative of periods of time. From the time that the Lord has ascended back into heaven until He comes back in the clouds to get His saints. They extend for a different portion. I'm going to give you the... Periods of times in the years this morning that I think is the best to my knowledge, but don't hold me to every single one of those numbers. When I give you a period of time that I believe that church was in and a representative of, uh, don't undermine me and go out and say, no, I believe it's two years longer, two years shorter, or six days closer. I don't want to hear it. I'm just going to give you a ballpark figure this morning. Because I know these are periods of time. God's got the record to the exact date. I just want you to get the area and understand. And I want you to take what I say today in the thought of church history. And look at it. The first church is found in chapter number 2. It's called the church of Ephesus. We want to look at this. The Bible said in chapter 2 of the book of, uh, book of Revelation in verse number 4. I'm going to read one verse. I won't read every one of these. I want to save time. You're going to go home and read all seven churches when you get home. Before you nap. And it wouldn't hurt you to read them again after you nap. Cut your nap short. Revelation chapter 2 verse number 4 said, Nevertheless... I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. How many has got a red-lettered Bible? Were those words in red? My Bible's not red-lettered. 
But when it's in red, it means Jesus spoke it. And you'd read by the context that he's speaking. Now this is not the Pope, not the governor, not the president, not the potentates of the world. But Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the author of the church, the guider of the church, the blesser of the church, the center of the church, said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He said, everything looks good. You're doing good. But I found one thing that's wrong with you. You've left your first love. Now, the church at Ephesus was the first church. And for the period of time, we'll say it somewhere, it, it took place around 33 A.D., to the year 200 A.D. You might you are taking notes. Might want to put these down. They'll be good for you down the road, or jot them in your margin, your Bible, or something. Ephesus ruled from the age or talking about from the year 333 to the year 200. Amen. What if it was 37? What if it was 31? What if it was 65? What if it was 201? We're not going to argue about that. We know there was a little period of time that Ephesus was in charge. It was the first church in going forward. And it started off right. And brother, every church ought to start off like Ephesus did. Every one of these churches are progressive. Instead of getting progressively good, they get progressively bad. They don't increase in their spirituality, they decrease in their spirituality. Ephesus got to place. What's it mean? What's it mean that they had got to the place that they'd lost their first love? I always illustrate that in a husband and wife relationship. When the man and woman marry, she's the sweetest thing ever happened to him and he's the sweetest thing ever happened to her. They ain't nothing that they could do wrong. They ain't nothing that's bad about neither one of them. They snuggle up, used to years ago, and before they had the seat belts, they'd snuggle up side by side. Amen. Driving down the road with one arm around her shoulders and driving with the left hand, trying to do his best to stay in the road. Jumping out of the car, running around, undoing the door, and opening the door far and running ahead and opening the door of the house to get her in the house. Amen. And he did that for a while. She she cooked the best foods for him. Whatever he wanted, that's what she fixed for him. Whatever he wanted, she she was there for that. And brother, they had a relationship. But one day she sits on the other side. Amen. He helps her out. And I've said this sometime back. Uh, he's always getting ready now, sitting in the car, honking the horn. She's got four kids ready, got them in the car. And he's out there revving the engine and uh, tooting the horn. And she finally comes running out a half. Uh, you know, she ain't, she ain't got her hair all combed. And she ain't got everything all correct. Jumps in the car and he said, What took you so long? They lost their first love. 
When they get saved by the grace of God, they love the Lord Jesus Christ. You did that. And you want to tell everybody, you want to do everything you can to learn more about the Lord. But if you're not careful, you're going to get to the place that you're going to take what you've got for granted and get to where you don't love the Lord like you used to. And that's what he said, I have someone against you. You've left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. We find that today in our churches. Churches now have got to hooked up on other things. The Bible said one thing down here below him in verse 6. He said, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Amen. You don't think God hates God hates the Nicolaitans, or the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. You don't hate the Nicolaitans. That's those who follow after authority and, you know, and push the Lord to the side and we're not getting involved in that, you know, kind of like uh, the leaders of, of the church and so forth. And uh, they would got to that place. And he said, you hate that. You don't, you don't let nobody or anything deter you from following the Lord. Now keep that in mind. But our churches have got the place in this day in society that we're involved in everything under the sun but what God wants us to be involved in. Average churches across our land are more concerned about the entertainment for the young people. They want to please the young people and give them something to do. And as a lot of people would come to this church if we had something for the young people. I've been told that God knows how many times. I couldn't tell you. We would come to your church, but I know there's no young people over there much. And there's nothing for the young people to do. Well, I give you the same thing that they give me when I was going to church as a young man. The Word of God. They preached to me. Amen. And Brother God never told us in the Word of God, go into all parts of the world and entertain. We've come to place in building programs years ago. We don't have it as much now, you know. People build buildings and put them in. And some of the churches they build now, I look at them and I say, must have been an infidel that decided that. That don't even look like a church to me. Amen. You ever get that feeling? I look at those things and uh, had building programs. And uh, there used to be. I, I remember going to South Carolina. Here was a little church. And here was a middle-sized church. And here was a big church. And I said, that must have been the first and the second and the third. <laughs> Amen. Building programs. And uh, preachers are talking about building programs and the thousands of dollars that come in and they're going to build this and all that. We're in our day learned how that what we need to do is have closed closets. Make sure everybody's got clothes. Now God didn't tell it in food pantries. It's good to give people what they don't have and if the church is doing its job we wouldn't have to have a welfare program. But we wouldn't give to anybody and everybody either. If they didn't work, they didn't eat. Understand. And I'm not going to get into that. But I'm going to say today, we got to, we've got to get ourselves all on the right path. The Lord didn't say, go into all parts of the world and uh, feed them and clothe them and entertain them. He said, preach. Now we come to the place. I never will forget. 
it's been a few years back, but they said we're going to have a yard sale at our church. And I thought, that's a new one to me. We're going to sell our junk down there at the church. Now, if you want to have a yard sale and give everything to the church, we'll take it, but don't do it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Uh, now we've come to a place, you know, it's got to be social media and all that kind of stuff. Everything social media at the church is a pitiful. While, you, while the preacher's preaching there or watching you or listening to you on, on, the, on the social media. Amen. Twitter and all that. So get the Twitter feed and people say, and now some of them stay at home, listen to the preacher. Amen. I don't have that problem. Some of them just stay at home. Amen. <laughs> Understand? Ephesus, he sent us somewhat against you. Secondly, let's look at verse 8, verses 8 down through verse 11. If I spend all the time on these, we won't get out of here. The Bible said about Smyrna. He said in verse number 9, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the, are, are the synagogue of Satan. I want you to watch that verse. I'll read it again in just a minute. Smyrna was the second church. And it ruled within the hour, or representative, I'm not saying it ruled that way because these churches are all gone now. You can't find a one of them. They're gone. But they stand for periods of time in church history. And Smyrna stands for the period of time from 200 to 325 A.D. In that very vicinity. Somewhere, give or take, a few years. It depends on what commentary or what commentator you listen to. Or what church history you read. And I'm not here to worry about that. But it stood for a period of time from 200 to 325 years and uh, A.D. And it was days of persecution. And it was persecution by religion. They had left their first love in the first church. And in Smyrna they'd come to a place that they was beginning to face some persecution. Let's look at chapter 2 and verse 9 one more time. The Bible said in verse 9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. I know thy works, what you do. And tribulation, that's your testings, your trials, and the things you're going through. And poverty. Early church was poor. That's quite a coincidence or not a coincidence. That's quite a contrast to the Laodicean church. Remember, this church has stepped down further. When you lose your first love, you keep going downhill. I know the blasphemy, he said, and poverty, but thou art rich. That's spiritually speaking. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. There were some that's in there talking about that they are Jews. Have you ever heard people say, I'm a spiritual Jew? I've said it to certain degrees, but you got to watch how you say that. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. Saved by the grace of God, I have been grafted in on the root system or the stump 
of the Jew. I've been grafted in. Thank God I've been grafted in. But what some people teach, and uh, they get the place of teaching, I'm a Jew. In other words, uh, God's not dealing with the Gentile with the Jews anymore. He's dealing with the Gentiles, and now we have taken the place of the Jews, and God don't count us as taking the place of the Jews. And what they're doing in their teaching is that they believe that the Jew has been forgotten, and God is through with them. Have you ever heard people say God's through with the Jew? I've heard people say that God's through with the Jew. Don't let nobody kid you. God is not through with a Jew. She's blind in part. And God will put her back on the main line one of these days. Read your Bible. I ain't got time to give you all these scriptures. But look at this this morning. Look at this. This is mentioned two times. Remember when you get to chapter 2 and verse 9, right out beside it, put 3 and 9. In chapter 2 and verse 9, and go to chapter 3 and verse 9. And let's read that verse. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. The synagogue of Satan's mentioned twice. 1, 2, 9, and 1 and 3, 9. Now what they're saying is they're taking another theology what they call a, the, a, a, a theology, it's not of God. Theology comes from God. Theos is God. Ology is a study of. And they're saying, and they call it the replacement theology. Don't ever let somebody tell you this morning that God has replaced the Jew with the Gentile. He's not done that. He put the Jew on the sideline but he's dealing with a gentile today in the church but one of these days god will work again with the jewish nation if you don't get that you're going to miss some of you looking at me now like uh where'd you get all this i'm just giving you something that you need to know now it's not going to help your spirituality to go around and say do you believe in 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 the replacement theology how many Baptists know what that is, see? And I don't major on that. I just want you to be aware of it. God don't like it. But they got the place that they'd come another little line down the road, you see. And uh, they're thinking that they're Jews. Now look at chapter 2 and verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he, which hath the sharp two-edged with two, the sharp sword with two edges. Now, I want to give you this. Ephesus was a period of 33 to 200 AD. Smyrna was a period of time from 200 to 325. And Pergamos covered a little area somewhere from 325 AD to 500. When you get to Pergamos, you're going to find something taking place. And here it is in verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because there thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. And then it says, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which that thing I hate. You remember verse, what was it? Verse 6 of chapter 2. 
God said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, there's a what in verse 15, they had got the place that they has fallen for some of that. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine. He had got to where there's holding that doctrine in the church of Pergamos. Now, Pergamos covers a period of time from 325 to 500. You know what happened in 325 A.D.? I'm shocked. Roman Catholicism opened its eyes and stood up. Roman Catholics declared themselves. They had been persecuting the church at Smyrna before that. But when you get to Pergamos, the Roman Catholicism junk has already got incorporated and Catholics are running to and fro. And they call them Christians. Roman Catholics are not Christians. There may be some in the Roman Catholics that are saved by the grace of God. I would not today doubt that. I believe there will be some Catholics that will go to heaven. Because they got saved by the grace of God. But if they ever learn much. And they ever study much. And they ever open their book up and get them a good Bible. They'll get out of it. Many have. I hear a preacher sometimes that used to be Catholics. Now they're not. They're preaching the Word of God. There's, there weren't preachers when they were then in that. But what happened is, in Pergamos, Ephesus lost the first love. Smyrna was under uh, persecution because of the religious system and is because Rome was working in the dark. But it declared itself in 325. And so they started persecuting even further on down. And uh, they don't even teach the new birth. And Pergamos was the church that began to hear the doctrines and the teachings of the Catholic church. And next thing you know, they're lining up with them to some degree. That's easy done, ladies and gentlemen. You hang around a lot of Roman Catholics today and this day, and if you're not careful, you'll get to thinking about some of the stuff they teach. I won't hobnob with them, but amen. They don't have nothing, amen, for me. So Pergamos begins to join with the Catholics. Well, Pergamos died out to a certain degree, and the church at Thyatira took place, but Roman... Catholicism was still in play. So we come to Thyatira. In Thyatira we find this. In chapter number 2, verse number 21, well verse number 20. Notwithstanding I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols and I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Roman Catholicism had played a big play in Thyatira and Thyatira's little time in history was from 500 to 1200 A.D. Are you getting this? Get your church history book and go back and study some of this stuff and it'll help you just a little bit. They used to call this period the Dark Ages. They don't even teach that in school anymore. Do you know that? 
They don't teach anything about the dark ages. But this is what we've always known as the dark. Yeah, you know what? I was so ignorant when I was just a young fella. I hear some of the preachers and some of the people talk about the dark ages, and I thought that somehow some period in time when God didn't let the light shine. I didn't know it was a spiritual darkness. That's how naive I was. But you got to learn something. This is days of persecution by the Catholics. And during this period of time from 500 to 1200, the saints of God and the people of fire tire that were sound and firm. And in all these churches, somebody and some of them have been firm and straight. But they're not as firm and straight as they were in Ephesus. If some of the older people were to come in and sit on the pew today and hear our little service our little ritual we've gone through today and hear my little teaching, preaching, they'd say, that's the most liberal church I've been in in a long time. Because they used to be stronger. Now we think we're strong, but we're not too strong. You following me today? So it covered a period of time from 500 to 1200. Now we get in chapter number 3, verse number one, and under the angel of the church in Sardis. I could say a whole lot more about what I'm saying. But he said, these things. He said, let me go back and read it all. And under the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. You're say you're alive, but you're as dead as you be. Amen. John must have seen our service this morning. You look like you're alive, but you're dead. You with me? Sardis means dead. Anybody name a church Sardis, I don't know. I I know some of it have. That covered a period of time from 1,200 to 1,500 years. And it was a period of time that they just had a form of godliness. If you look like you're alive, but you're dead, you've got a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. Verse 3, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. And he said in verse number 4, thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. Some of them still holding the truth. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now there's people coming out of every one of these churches that's going to be in heaven. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Now, that moves us up to chapter 3 and verse 7. We've got a period of time covered now up to 1500. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the thing, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that is hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Look at verse number 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast little strength. Not a whole lot, but little strength. And hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Now if you don't look at like I'm preaching it this morning, you're going to get in trouble. Every one of these churches are getting further away from Ephesus. You lose your first love and you fall into this and you fall into that and you're getting colder and colder. Somebody said that Philadelphian church is what I'm part of. It's known as the church of the open door. 
That's what it said. Verse number 8. God set an open door before them. That has covered a period of time from 1500 to 1900. We're not in that at church age right now. I usually say, I'm, I'm still trying to hold to be in part of the Philadelphian church. Because I still think we've got an open door in areas and I go from there. And I believe that's what happens. I'm still trying to hold to the fact of being of the Ephesus church too. I don't like it to be able, and I don't brag about it. And I'm not going to jump up here and tell you, I'm part of the Laodicean church. You've got to be a nut to say that. Amen. Amen. Not have good sense and be stupid at the same time. Amen. But he says here, he said, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan which say they are Jews. There they are again. And are not, but do lie because, Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. That's chapter 3, verse 9. This covered a period of time from 1500 to 1900. Now let me just stop and get you in church history. That was the years of Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey, men like that, Whitfield or Whitefield, whatever you want to call him, men. And this is a period of time from 1500 to 1900. And this is also known as a period of time when uh, they called it the Reformation. And people were now opening their eyes and seeing that the Catholic Church praying to Mary and uh, baptizing babies wasn't biblical. And they reformed in a little period of time. They've come out from under that and got into the Reformation. Understand? Pulling out of the Catholic Church and getting to that. And some of the greatest times of revival that we've ever known has been from 1500 to 1900. Now we're in 2021 today, and you guess what we're doing? We're saying, I hope that America has revival, and I'm praying for revival. And I'm praying for revival, but I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I believe the days of revival are over. The Laodicean church age is not going to bring in revival. We can't even exalt the Lord to the highest pedestal in our life, much less have a revival. And I'll prove that to you in just a minute. Look at Laodicea. Last one. I've got to get you out of here. The Bible said unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Notice what he says. He said in verse number 15, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. Why, you're mediocre. You're straddling the fence. You're a compromiser. There's no absolutes. There's nothing right and there's nothing wrong. Everything's all right. Does that sound modern? You can't pinpoint anything. Everything's all. It's all right. If you want to be uh, an oddball, you can be an oddball. That's still right with Bible. I mean, 
They they have no nothing. The Bible don't dominate nothing. It don't. It's not the final authority. It's not the last word. He said in verse sixteen. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now look at verse number seventeen. It's going to tell you how come. How come they're there? How come the Laodicean church is where it's at? Because thou sayest, I am rich. That's the key right there. Churches now are operated like they're businesses. They are put together. What is it you call it when you, a corporation? That's what I'm trying. They've got people. Matter of fact, there's churches you go to that you have to fill out paperwork to tell how much you make so that they know how much they can expect out of you to tithe. I ain't lying to you. They want you to commit yourself to that. And they got budgets and some of them's got so much money in, in uh, CDs and, and savings accounts that they can evangelize the world. Remind me of some of these big fellers that's got these big jets. Spend $20 million on a jet because they've got to have it to fly from one meeting to another. $20 million would put up a lot of churches across the nation and around the world to evangelize people with the gospel. Hey! I'm not lying. Brother, I'm disturbed about all these things, but that's the way it is. How do we get here? How do we get here? If Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8 tells us that the Philadelphian church is an open door church, then Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20 tells us that the Laodicean church is a closed door church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That's where the Lord is in our present age. This Laodicean church started from 1900 up until now, until it's called out of here. You said, what age are we living in? Laodicean church age. That's where we're actually living I'm glad that I'm trying my best to live better than that. And by the grace of God, I can. And the Bible said here, because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods. We noticed over a while ago, it said that they were poor. He says, here they are too. But churches who down through the years didn't have much money actually done more for God than churches that's got money today. And increase with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. Now let me give you this. I know this for a fact. And here's what's happened in our our modern day. We have walked away from the truths. I used to read after R.A. Torrey. Some of y'all still read after him. He's actually a good Bible teacher and can teach you a lot of things. He's got an excellent book on the Holy Spirit. But what bothers me is, Tory's one of those that you'll read after him, you'll come to some of the scriptures he quotes and he'll have RV right behind it. Revised version. 
Did you know when the revised version was put? You know, hey, by the way, let me tell you, in the Philadelphian church, during Moody and all, we got the 1611 King James Bible, by the way. Philadelphian church, open door. Got it? All right, let's go a little further. I used to read after Tory. I, I looked that up some time ago. And that RV, Revised Version, is what it stood for, was published in 1885, right prior to 1900. And then it was quiet for a long time about the Scriptures until 1952, and they put out the Revised Standard Version. The Revised Version wasn't good enough, so they put the Revised Standard Version out. And since 1952, our country has been infiltrated and buried in so-called Bibles. And they're writing them today, and most preachers are recommending this and that one, and they're all copyrighted. You know why? Because they want the money off of them. And they're making livings off of these Bibles. And when we started turning to these Bibles, guess what? We started turning the people. We started turning the country. We started turning uh, the religious system. Other uh, days of Christianity have been turned upside down and topsy-turvy. No wonder people believe what they believe. When I first started preaching years ago, people believed basically the same thing. You hear a few things off the wall, I call off the wall, Jehovah's Witnesses, and those kind of people come along, and everybody knows them's, them's crooks and duds. Amen. And then they kept getting bigger and bigger, and everybody's got their own little idea. And now you can't, you can't find 15 fundamental Bible preachers that'll preach the same thing anymore. Now that might not bother you, but it does me. I listened to one yesterday. I'm always listening to preachers. I wouldn't advise you to listen to some of the ones I listen to. I've done been there and I wouldn't, I don't listen to them now. But they get off the wall like this right here. No wonder you hear some junk. Somebody asked him the questions of kind of a format and he asked him a question. What's going to happen at the end of this thing? What's going to happen about a new heaven and a new earth? He said, well, it's like this. He said, the Lord's going to Destroy the earth by fire. And I said, praise God. He's right. He read some out of the book of Peter where God's going to, the element's going to be on melting fervent heat. I said, praise God. He's got the right Bible. He's right on it. He's right on it. And I'm a swallowing it up, believing every bit of it because it was Bible. And he's right. And he was true. And he said, the Lord's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth is going to pass away. And somebody asked him, where's, it, where's everybody going to be? And he said, uh, God's going to make... said, a new Jerusalem is going to come down. And said... Uh, then they asked him a question. Who's going to be at the new Jerusalem? He said, uh, lots of people are going to be there. But he said, if those saints of God are judged at the, at the judgment seat and they don't have no rewards and they suffer loss... Them people won't be able to go to the millennium. And they'll be put in the New Jerusalem. And I thought, now would you show me that in the Bible? 
<laughs> and then I said, now you're getting to be questionable. And now I want to hear what else you got to say. And he said, you know, in the beginning, God put a curse on the universe. And I said, okay. He said, all the planets, God shut them down and just had the earth. But in back up yonder in the future, when it gets up, God's going to turn all of them back on. He said, then they're going to go out and replenish the earth. And when they get the earth filled, they're going to move to Mars. And they're going to go to Jupiter. And they're going to fill all of them. And I'm saying... I'm driving down the road and I'm almost in the ditch. And somebody said, would you show me the Bible? And here's what that Jay Bird gave. Chapter 21 of Revelation. Now if you can get this out of this, these two verses right here, more power to you. Go back and have another dream. Revelation 21, verse 1 said, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. I got that, ain't you? And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I'm saying... How does that tell me they're going to populate Mars? And somebody asked him that question. He said, well, he don't actually say that, but you read that in there. It's there. And I said, who would ever believe that? I don't mind you telling me those things if you can give me some Bible on it. But you're going to have to give me more than that. I thought he might have been smoking dope or something. I don't know. Hearing me? Now, if all that happens and, and one of these days and we see Mars populated, you punch me in the ribs and say, you missed that, preacher. And I'll say, hmm, I did. But I don't think I'll have to worry about you. Are you seeing what I'm seeing today? No wonder we believe it. We, we're at the place we have. The Bible tells them they don't have no more time for God. Would you look at that? They don't have no more time because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I have need of nothing. I don't have no time for God. I don't need God. I don't need His salvation. I don't need His Bible. I don't need His church. I don't need nothing. That's where the Laodicean church is today. Well, some of you look like you done had enough. We'll stop right there. God help you. Heads bowed. Eyes closed.